All right, I'm glad to have you back into another episode of the Idea Collision. I'm Andrew Green. I'm the minister at the Waukesha Church of Christ. I haven't really introduced myself a lot uh, in the recent podcast. Uh, I'm also a volunteer facilitator at Healing Hearts, which is a grief support ministry. It's not counseling or therapy exactly, uh, but what we do is we uh, locally uh, we have a ministry that helps people kind of work through grief, uh, various types of losses. And um, it, and that's going to end up being important kind of as we, we go through, not necessarily today, but uh, some of the things that we're going to be jumping off from from this. This is our last podcast in this series, which is a, a topic of truth. And we're going to be getting into kind of some of the other areas once we move on from truth, kind of how these things impact people. And uh, we're continuing, as I said, the topic specifically from last week. We had kind of a two-parter, um, and uh, we're uh, looking at some of the logical fallacies, some of the bad arguments that people use. And last week we focused on the type of arguments that people use that really marginalize people and kind of have a devastating effect, I think, depending on how bad the arguments are or how bad, you know, the, the insults are if you're looking at ad hominem and things like that. But um, we're looking at logical fallacies this week that are actually rooted in some type of logic. They're looking at the data and trying to actually rationalize the data. We're trying not to rationalize it correctly because we're trying to get, we're always, almost always, we're trying to get to the conclusion that we have, the bias that we have, and we want to find those things to support that because change is difficult. It's difficult for me, and especially the older I am, for me to accept that things that I have believed for a period of time are incorrect, that the people that taught me were incorrect, whatever. So, uh, so these are rational thought. And there's um, probably about six, seven, seven, eight, something like that. We're, we're going to go through, um, and what happens? What we do is we go in search of the evidence having the opinion already, and that is that is one of the the problems of modernism, postmodernism, is that we have the conclusion we just we really don't like the facts. <laughs> so. Uh, so it was easy to ignore them if we can, but sometimes we can't. These are some of the things that we do. And and, and as I said, I wanted to, to go through these uh, and look at um, how Christians do these. Uh, it's easy for me to point out, and we will from time to time point out some of the ways that these are used against Christians uh, because those are good illustrations for Christian people to be aware of. In general, we use these in, in regular conversations, secular topics, not even having to do with spiritual things. But but um, if you're coming to this from a theological background, from a from a Christian background, it's important for you to know that, that there are ways that we do these things also because we are humans. And, and if I was raised with a theological viewpoint, just as if I was raised without one, I want my views to be right. And I want to prove that the people who taught me were correct and I don't have to change. The first one that we get into is, is probably one of the most recognizable. It's one of the most common, and uh, it's called circular reasoning. It basically means that you assume your point in order to prove your point. And so uh, you use the evidence to support the position, then you use the position to support your evidence. It's like at the same time, and it's, it's, it's really, it doesn't work that way. You can't prove anything. Uh, so... Uh, 
So people and non-Christians will point this one out. This is probably the one most easily pointed out. And, and people do this. Uh, I probably did this uh, as a as a younger person because it seems logical. Where, where you say something like, you know, well, uh, the Bible is the Word of God. Okay. So how do you know that? Well, because it says it's the Word of God. Okay, but how do you know that it's true? Well, it's true because it's inspired. How do you know it's inspired? Because it says it's inspired. And you see we're going in this loop where no point has actually been independently established, but we're using it as a reference for another point that we believe, and then we just kind of go back to the beginning with that. And that really doesn't work. Um, and so, so it's well, again, and we remember, we, I want to keep in our mind the circular logic or the, uh, the um, logical fallacy, logical fallacy where people say, oh, look at you, you did something wrong, you have bad logic, therefore you're wrong. That's not necessarily true. You can be true, and just use bad logic. Because critics of the Bible do this exact same thing. They'll say, here's the premise. The resurrection is a myth. Right? We, we noticed that the, the appeal to incredulity. Uh, I can't believe this happened. The resurrection is a myth. Well, how do you know that that's true? How do you know that that statement is true, that, that Jesus didn't rise from the dead? I mean, it's, we'll have the conversation, but how do you know that's true? Well, because dead people don't come back from the dead. Right? Well, you haven't proven anything. That you're you're using your argument to really to support your argument. It sounds logical because you've never observed this to happen. But but just because you've never observed something to happen doesn't mean it's never happened. If Jesus came back from the dead, then it happened. You just weren't around to see it. So so you you if you're going to make that statement, you really do kind of need to have something independent to support it. Uh, so, uh, it's really not that hard to imagine a God that could do something, making that happen, if he did so wish to do that. So, so this is where the discussion needs to take place. Um, if the Bible's true, as as a Christian, I need to find better evidence to support it than, than trying to use circular logic. It should be easy to find evidence. I shouldn't rely on things like that to support myself. So... Uh, be aware of that one. Uh, again, it also, if Christianity is a myth, it should be easier to find that information in, in reality than than relying on circular logic. Uh, straw man, and there's a lot of straw man arguments. Straw man is an easy one that's easy to slip into. It's a, basically a sleight of hand. What it, what it does is we're arguing these two positions, right, or this position. I'm on this side, you're on this side. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to run over here and I'm going to build something fake that looks similar or it's connected. I'm going to argue against this. And then when we're done, it I'm going to have defeated this easier, always an easier thing to argue against than this. And when it when I defeat this, it's going to look like I defeated this because these look connected and therefore I'm going to have invalidated your argument. And it's built on a type of logic and a type of argument, but it's not really... It doesn't really accomplish what it says it's accomplishing, which is why it's a logical fallacy. Um, and and so, uh, and we talk about low hanging fruit, the easy argument. Straw men are always low hanging fruit, um, and it happens almost always with very passionate subjects. Things and uh, so uh, we uh, we get into politics, you'll see this, or some social agenda. In religion, uh, we come to specific doctrines or arguments between denominations, which one's right. Th those types of arguments 
often will use straw man arguments. Uh, I'll give you a, a couple of types of these. So um, uh, it, it was kind of interesting that it is, you know, talking about religion. This was this idea was actually a it was a phrase. Straw man was a phrase coined by uh, Martin Luther a theologian in the 1400s, and he was describing how Catholics had identified him or, or misidentified some of the things that he taught, and they accused him of saying these certain religious doctrines, and he's like, that, that's not what I believe. And that's what a straw man does. And so, for example, I was having a, a, a conversation, um, and I personally believe that, that God asks us to be involved in our salvation. Now, if you don't believe in salvation, you're just kind of here interested in, in the discussion, then just just give me my premise and you'll see how it works. Uh, but um, I, I, I believe that God requires some type of action for, for salvation. And, uh, and so, so one of the first ways that we build a straw man argument is... To, there's a couple of ways. Uh, we can redefine words uh, within the argument so that I can point out how wrong you are by taking a word in your argument, redefining it so that it changes the meaning of what you're saying. Then I argue the new meaning, which is nice and convenient. I can do something else. I can take a statement that you've made out of context, and I can argue that out-of-context statement and therefore prove you wrong. Or I can do something where I look at the most extreme view of, of something. I can present the most extreme view of something you would say and, and, and argue that. These are, these are all things we do. So, so here's this idea that I believe. Uh, I believe that actions are necessary for what we call salvation. Well, I have had numerous views or conversations with, with those who hold the view that, that this is not true. Uh, and, and I would say that, that the majority of what's called evangelical Christianity doesn't believe that that's true. At least intellectually, they don't. They act <laughs> differently, but uh, they all are making personal decisions and things like that. But, but they, they say they hold this theology. So let's, let's just begin there. Well, so what they will do is they will equate two words. And they, here's the shift. They'll say, well, they'll talk, they'll, they'll talk about works. Well, you believe in works salvation. They've misrepresented me because the word action and the word works, while similar, in the Bible are representing two completely different concepts. Uh, but if I can equate those two, take something out of context or, or misrepresent what I believe, or you know, if they can misrepresent what I believe, now they have me in the corner because there's any number of verses that talk against the idea of works salvation. And, and so what they've done is, is it, they've built a straw man and defeated the straw man, but they haven't really undone what I believe because now I'm having to de debate over here on work salvation and that it's not the same thing, and 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 it looks like I'm wrong uh, because we're way off the topic. Uh, I don't believe in work salvation. That's a misrepresentation. Uh, I believe in in a salvation that's that's the result of faith uh, that has something to do with action. Uh, as a prerequisite for it, and those are two completely different topics, um, and, and that's 
how it kind of works. There's there's a there's a myriad of ways that that we could we could illustrate this, but I want to move on here uh, because there are a number of these. Uh, is this one's similar? Uh, it's very common. It's similar to the straw man. It's called the red herring. It's a way to get people off the topic. Uh, it's a diversion. Red herring just is, is a phrase that comes from I, I don't know 18th century or whatever they were training dogs uh, is how training bloodhounds how to hunt and and so what they would do is uh, they would take a I guess a kippered herring or, or some type of fish of some sort some rotten fish or whatever and it was I guess it was red colored uh, and they would try to throw off a dog's scent um, and that's so it kind of end up be, being the inspiration for this of course with dogs it never works it never worked a single time dogs can smell multiple scents uh, with humans, unfortunately, in arguments, we get thrown off the scent all the time. Uh, not as smart as dogs, I guess, in, in that way. But um, but this is just a diversion. And, and so all this does is is run to a, a slightly separate topic uh, to get off. Um, uh, one of the, the things that you'll hear people talk about in business world, and this is fine for the business world, and in, in the church it's not so good, They'll talk about best practices. We should do this because it's best practices. And what this does, what this says is that our direction should be built on the things that seem to work um, the best, that accomplish our goals. That's not a bad-sounding logic, but it is, in a sense, a red herring, especially when we follow the logic through. It's easily to define it as a theological error because what we would say is, um, best practices are what? Well, we're trying to define or, or to succeed in the short term, build our bottom line, things like that with business. And, and so in the church model, well, what are we doing? We're saying, well, what are the two numbers that are most important to us? Dollars and number of people in, in the chairs. And so we're trying to accomplish those goals, and so we're going to use best practices, quote-unquote, to, 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 to do those. Unfortunately, that doesn't always build the the church the correct way. It doesn't. It does. That's not what's going to impact people the most. It looks good, looks impressive, but it's a red herring because it, it pulls us off of what we're supposed to be doing. Not necessarily a way of arguing. Even uh, it ends up being a way of arguing because people get invested in the way that they want to do things in the church. Uh, but what ends up happening is is that we get completely off topic, and uh, as a as a as a church, as a as a group of people, and spiritually, we, we're 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 way off, because now these things become an ends, not a means. So, um, and 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 businesses will do this too, where they develop these things that are connected with best practices. They're short term, they're short sighted. So I think even in business, they're probably not the best way to to accomplish things. But um, it, it the things that we establish become untouchable. Because after a little while of doing this, now they're tradition. Why do we do this? Well, because we've always done it, and so this is the way we do it. And, and when that happens in, in church, now we're not talking about what, what should be done. We're just talking—this is removed from the arena of things that should or shouldn't be done. Is this a, something that God would want us to do? Well, now we have to come up, because we have the tradition, we have to come up with all sorts of ways— that we consider the right way to do this thing that we were never really probably supposed to be doing in the first place. Um, and so we, we build up a whole structure 
of things based off of, of this red herring. Um, you can see this in arguments too, how we, how we just shift the argument into something completely different and, and get, people, uh, get people off of, of, of the topic. Um, so uh, there's a moving goal. Uh, sometimes people refer to this one as Texas Sharpshooter. They're slightly different, but they're about the same. These are manipulation of the evidence to illustrate how I'm really right. Uh, there was a uh, <laughs> there used to be a thing. They don't do it now because it's so illust it's illustrated as as being so ridiculous. But they used to say, well, you could predict who the president um, would would be because. Uh, whatever the Redskins do, if the Redskins won the game before the election, then uh, then they would uh, then the Republicans would win, and if they lost, then the Republicans would lose. Well, that is actually just kind of weird that 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 happened uh, for for a while, and uh, but then it didn't, and so so what happened is. They looked at it and said they went back and corrected it and said, well, if if they win their last home game, then the Republicans will win. It, it was stupid. Obviously, the two things don't have anything to do in common. It was just kind of this weird thing that that people noticed. And but but it, but it illustrates kind of how we manipulate information. And so so the idea of the Texas sharpshooter is he shoots three bullets at the barn and draws a circle around the, the bullets and says, "Wow, man, I'm a good shot." And uh. Uh, so, so moving goalposts is kind of similar. It says, well, the, the data is moving here, so I'm going to change my opinion to uh, not to be correct, but I'm, I'm going to change kind of the way we interpret the data so it's still showing that I'm correct. It's called the moving You have to do this. Well, um, no, no, the data says this. Well, now you have to do this. Um, and we're constantly moving. Uh, I'll illustrate this a couple of ways. Um, you know, it, it's all data selection and manipulation. Uh, so, um, I, I was discussing something with a a group of traveling religious people that come to your door. One of those groups. Uh, I loved to invite them in, and we we lived in Ukraine at the time, and so. They come in, and, and one of the things that they wanted to argue about was whether the, the Holy Spirit is an individual or whether he's an impersonal force. Okay, again, if you're, you're not into theology, that's fine. It makes no difference uh, in terms of this discussion. This is the discussion we were having. And so they said, well, if the Holy Spirit was alive, then, then he, quote-unquote, would have emotions. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, that's true. Um, so Ephesians, which not really true because trees don't have emotions, but you know. Uh, so, but l I'll I'll allow your premise. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter four of thirty and thirty-one, as I said, and and it said it says, "Do not grieve." I said, "Can you read that out loud?" In Russian, but I knew what it said, and uh, it says, "Do not grieve the Holy Spirit." I said, "Well, grieve." Is an emotion. I, I deal with this every week, so so I know it's an emotion, and um and and so they looked at each other. They they weren't ready for that verse, but but they just went back to their book and and tried to figure out you know how to get rid of 
how to rationalize that they they weren't interested in going wow uh, we established this premise you answered the premise we're wrong how do we change um they were not they were not interested in that uh they were interested in looking at how to try to figure out how that didn't apply um people will say well you know uh here's uh Either let's move on to a quick top, a different topic, or run away from it. Let's introduce this other thing, or you know, how how can we reintroduce a different category that somehow eliminates certain pieces of the evidence? Well, that verse doesn't apply because of this, or this doesn't matter because of this. Well, it's uh, so Texas Sharpshooter, you know, the prosperity gospel does this. Um, prosperity gospel is this idea that that God wants you to be wealthy and 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 rich and uh, and successful and healthy and all these other sorts of things. And, and if you're right, then then those things will happen to you. And of course, you just introduce some data that says, well, wait a minute, what about this person? What about uh, what about this verse? What about this? And they they you know they selectively draw their circle around religious people who are successful and say, see. This 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 is this proves the point. It's like, well, what what about the apostle Paul? You know, he was in poverty and was shipwrecked and all. The, he didn't seem to have a whole lot of this. Well, that doesn't that, that he was a different situation or whatever. Uh, I'm going to just kind of randomly select what I like. Uh, so um, there's there's the uh, the next one is called the slippery slope, and this one is easy to define, tricky to apply sometimes. Uh, because sometimes there's a slippery slope because there is a slippery slope. Slippery slope says uh, we don't do this because of what it could lead to. Well, guess what? Um, if you have teenagers, you know that there's a such thing as a slippery slope. You say, well, okay, you have this many minutes on, on you know technology. Well, you know if you don't watch it, you know, they're going to go five minutes over today and then ten minutes over tomorrow. There's a thing called a slippery slope. It, is, it does exist. Uh, it's kind of a funny situation. I mean, not really funny, but but uh, it, it, ironic in a certain way. In 1870, uh, black men were given the right to vote. It did not come without controversy, though. Uh, and, and and leading up to this, one of the the people I can't remember their name, but uh, uh, one of the 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 arguments against doing this, one of the men said, you know, if we give men uh, if we give black men the right to vote today, women are going to want it tomorrow. <laughs> that was that was the argument. You couldn't slippery slope. Well, we can't have black men voting because you know the women will want to vote. It was like, uh, logical fallacy. Uh, slippery slope is is not doesn't prove whether or not you should have black men voting. That that's that's a bad argument. Uh, so how do you decide whether something is a good because again. You've got teenagers, slippery slope. How do we know when it's the fallacy and when it's good to to be aware of? You know, well, using it as an evidence of things is never a good idea. You can't prove something based on a slippery slope because this time might be the time. And if you have teenagers, they say, "Well, but this time I won't." Okay, well, maybe they they could be true. Maybe this time they won't do the slippery slope. Uh, so using it as an evidence is never really going to prove the point uh maybe using it as a precautionary thing and saying listen this is just going to be our policy because we have a tendency okay 
um, whether in church or or not, that that might be an okay thing. We say, we're we're not making this a statement of doctrine. We're just making a statement of this is practically what we're going to do because of the slippery slope. That's different. Um, because what people do is, and this is the application that I want to drop. We have formed sometimes teachings that that say we shouldn't do this. Uh, right? This is this is the teaching. This is wrong, and the reason this is wrong is because if if we say it's right, then people are going to do this down the road. Right? And so we establish what's called a hedge doctrine. It protects us from something that we know is wrong. And we think that point A is going to definitely lead to point B. So we're going to state here that A is wrong, even though it's not. Uh, man-made, is this called, the Bible calls this man-made theology. He says, you know, you establish these man-made principles, and it's just man-made religion. They're just hedge doctrines. They're, they're the results of the slippery slope. Uh, and, and so we, we do want to be be careful of not doing that. Another one is um, called false choice. Uh, false choice is where I give you two options, and um, I, I and I do it cleverly. I'm going to present two options. You, this is yes or no. But the no is obviously the wrong one. No one wants to be categorized in this group. You know well. Do you like, you know, do you like pumpkin pie or are you a communist? You know, uh, it's like, well, I don't want to be a communist. So I guess I like pumpkin pie, but I don't like pumpkin pie. Uh, so so uh, what do you do? It's false choice, you know. Um, and so, you know, you hear this a lot. False choices will be in uh, in the discussion between. We, we went back. I said some of these would be between non-religious and religious people. You'll hear this idea. Well, I believe in science, not religion. That's a false choice. A person can actually believe in both. Uh, if if God exists, and if God is the creator of everything, then God is also the creator of science, and therefore scientific laws would be no more or less valid than spiritual laws. And so, uh, but but when someone says, uh, this is a, a way to marginalize people, because here's what it does. Um, I'm going to do one of two things with the false choice. If you say science, then I get you to get rid of God. right? And I've won. But the worst case scenario is if, if I get you to choose God, which a Christian is going to do, or a genuine Christian is going to do, then I get you to acknowledge my false choice and say, well, see, God is not scientific. And scientific we can see, and scientific we can experience. So therefore, God is not scientific, and therefore God disappears in, in a puff of logical smoke. You know, So, so that's the attempt, is to coerce you to my side. But it is the result of a false choice. Um, and uh, I believe in God of science and theology. Uh, so now often Christians will present this to other Christians. Uh, and we use, it's kind of a little circular reasoning and things like that. But if you don't care about the things I care about, then you're wrong. you know. And we present what we, you, do you love infants? 
you know, and, and so it, well, if you love infants, then you would march, you know, in, in this abortion rights thing. Well, oh, you don't. Uh, uh, so, oh, oh uh, Facebook is the worst for this. You know, click if you like Jesus. So, so if I don't click on this, I don't love Jesus. Oh, that's a false choice. Uh, and I don't share your post. I must not be a dedicated Christian or, or what have you. Uh, if you don't care about the causes that, that I believe in, you're not a real Christian. I hate that phrase, real Christian. Uh, and, and so, you know, if, if you don't do this thing, you don't care about this. These are false choices uh, that, that Christians can find themselves doing. Another one that's really brief, and we'll just get them, and this is called middle ground. Listen to people talk about other people, and I mean in a secular sense, when, when they're having a heated discussion, and you will hear phrases. Oh, here's politics, left wing, right wing, right? What does that express? Any extreme is incorrect. Now, this may be true, but it's a logical fallacy because it doesn't prove the point. An extreme view, if everyone was here, and one person was over here, and this was wrong, then this person would be correct, even though he's extreme, even though he's out on the fringe. But what Middle Ground says, the ideal place to be is in the middle. You will never hear the word centrist used as an insult. Everyone wants to be called a centrist in the middle. It's politically, what have you. Uh, theologically, well, I don't, that's extreme view, and I don't, you know. And middle ground does not always prove that you are correct. You know, in fact, being in the middle ground can mean that you are a fence sitter. It can mean that you are the guy that waves the finger in the air and sees which way the popular side is going or which way the experts are going, and you're going to just kind of tilt right of center, or you're going to tilt left of center. Uh, but I'm still pretty center. Uh, so, uh, centrist is is not always a good thing. Why am I in the middle? Why am I on the edge? Uh, those are important questions to ask. Is the edge the right place to be? Is the you know is the maybe the middle is the right place to be? Um, I don't know, but but simply stating that that you're right or someone's wrong because of where they are in the argument, in terms of position in relation to other people. That doesn't prove anything. It, 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 it's, a, it's a logical fallacy. The last one is, is um, one called kettle logic. At the end of all of the things we've talked from last week to this week, there's one that, that just kind of is a shotgun approach to it all. I'm going to mix all my metaphors up here, uh, which is appropriate because kettle logic says you just throw everything into one big pot. You know, we got 15 or so fallacies. We could have done way more. I could have done four or five of these. These are the common ones we will get into and hear um, and use. These are a lot of the common ones I will use. Uh, and uh, and so I, I think even last week I, I, I got into using one right in the middle of talking about them. Like I, I caught it right in the middle. I was like, oh, my goodness. Um, so, uh, but Kettle Logic just says I'm going to throw all things in the pot. And, and if I have more arguments, then I'm right. Uh, and I'm just going to hope that some of these stick. And 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 so, um, what ends up happening with kettle logic is that we end up using oftentimes we will use a contradictory. We will use two different contradictory arguments 
both of them logical fallacies. And and so not only are we not proving our point, but we're we're undoing the very point that we're I'll give you an illustration. Uh um some people will appeal. These are some of the appeals that we have. And there's a lot of appeals that we have. They're not really logical fallacies in and of themselves in, in terms of being actual logic, but they're appeals. So some will do what's called the appeal to novelty. Appeal to novelty means, you know, we're we're getting more technologically advanced, therefore we're getting better. That means anything that we invent, anything new, is better than anything old. Okay? Um, that's not true. There are things that are older that are maybe better ways to do things than the new ways that we do things. Sometimes people invent things that are worse. Sometimes we come up with creative ways to harm ourselves, for example. And, uh, and, and so, so some people will appeal to novelty, and they will turn around and then say, well, th but this is traditional. It's like, wait a minute. You just appealed to what is new, and now you're appealing to what really what is old. It's tradition. We've always done this. <laughs> so it's like, well, is it new or have we always done it? Which, which one is it? But when we get into catalogic, we're we're just really interested in trying to prove a, another person wrong so much that we will contradict ourselves, and we don't care what arguments, what what whichever one seems to work. Uh, that's what it is. So so I I really am more focused at this point on my tactics than on what the truth is. Remember, the whole point of this is for us to be able to stop trying to rationalize our way to being right and wanting to be correct. At the end of the day, when we you go to your home and I go to my home, I'm either right or wrong. It doesn't make a difference if I had better arguments than you or uh, I used them better or I out-debated. There was a guy that, that went to my college uh, uh, where I graduated, he's much older than me. He graduated, and I went, and uh, he was one of the first classes of the college. and And there was a, a debater. One of the one of the guys that started was a prolific debater, and and this student was just very argumentative in class. His name was Bill. Uh, both of them are passed away now. So so, uh, uh, and this story was told at at one of their uh, at the older gentleman's funeral. Uh, so I'll use it, but uh, but some thirty years ago, but. Uh, so, so a guy by the name of Burton Barber was the professor, and and, uh, and Bill was uh, uh, just a student. He was always arguing with the professor, and uh, and so finally one day this prolific debater, well known, it, he's like, all right, he stopped the class, cleared his desk. He says, "You and I are now going to have an argument. You're going to take this position that you've just argued. I am going to beat you. Then I'm going to turn around." I'm going to give you, you're going to have access to every argument that I just made. I'm going to give you the position that I just beat you with. I'm going to take your position that you just lost with, and I'm going to beat you again. <laughs> now, obviously, he could only have been right one of those times, but he was a better debater. In the end, it's not tactics. In the end, it's it's whether or not I'm right. I, in the universe, as I stand before God, as I stand in the universe, God or no God, am I correct? That's what I want to be. Um, I want to represent truth when I'm in my conversation. So you're going to find yourself in all different sorts of situations, uh, conversations that you have with people. Be aware of bad logic. As we said next week, not just their bad logic. Be 
most importantly, aware of, of the arguments that you use because these are the things that build relationships or hurt relationships. And don't undermine. If you have a good position, you only undermine it with a bad logic because if, if you present a bad argument, then that person, you, you give that person kind of the moral high ground to go home and say, yeah, that guy was, that guy was an idiot. Uh, that Andrew, he was an idiot. He used that bad logic. And, and, and I might have been trying to argue for something true, but using bad logic. So, so I don't, I don't want to give him that. I, I, I want to present an accurate thing so he doesn't have that out at least. And don't be afraid to correct course. In the end, I'm going to have more peace of mind if I can look myself in the eye and say, you know what, I, I upheld truth. I didn't try to rationalize what I've always uh, believed. Um, and if, if I can't support an argument without using those, then I'm probably misguided, and I, I do need to correct course. And really, at the end of this, this is the only way I'm going to have peace of mind, which is really what we want to have. We want to have a genuine uh, peace of mind, and that's what I hope for you as a result of the discussion that we've had the last two weeks and, and kind of actually uh, through for, through all of this opening about truth is to have peace of mind in where you stand on issues. So so um, I, I, I wish you the best this week. Thank you.